Welcome to the Digging the Grits podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Shaw, and today I've got an amazing guest who I'll tell you about in a moment. But considering this is the first episode, let me tell you about this podcast. If you're listening to this, you're probably familiar with my YouTube channel, Digging the Greats. I do breakdowns of classic songs and albums, remix stuff, recreate it, mash it up, and talk about the stories behind some of the music you love. I recently did a video on the Kanye song, All Falls Down, and I got to interview Ken Lewis, the guy who re-recorded the nylon string guitar sample on this song. Now, that video is like 15 minutes long, and the clip of my convo with Ken is like two minutes long, but we actually talked for a lot longer than that, about his career, some of the incredible artists he's gotten to work with, and I just released another video about Kanye's All of the Lights, you know, the giant uh, halftime stadium horns. Ken did that arrangement, so we've got another clip from our convo in that video. And as I'm making more and more videos, I'm having more conversations with some of the people involved, and this stuff won't quite fit on the Digging the Greats YouTube channel, but it's too good not to share. So I just launched a new YouTube channel called Digging the Talks. Think of this like a complimentary channel with even more clips from my interviews with people. But then if you want to relax, kick back, and listen for a longer stretch, you're going to want to pull up the Digging the Greats podcast. I've already done several interviews that I can't wait for you to hear, and I'm excited to grow this podcast with more guests, hear more stories, and celebrate the music along with you. So with that, my guest today is Ken Lewis. Ken is a mixer, producer, and multi-instrumentalist who's worked with, I mean, just a ridiculous number of huge artists. Kanye, Eminem, J. Cole, Usher, I mean, he watched the throne he worked on, Queen Latifah, Pusha T, Drake, Kid Cudi, Alicia Keys. You know that secret Wu-Tang album, the one where they only made one copy and then auctioned it off and then Martin Shkreli got it and then like he wouldn't share it? It was a whole thing. Anyway, Ken mixed that album, so he's one of the few people in the world who's heard it. There are a ton of great stories that he tells, so let's just get right into it. Here's my conversation with Ken Lewis. So can you tell me a bit about how that went, how you got involved in uh, in that song, in that album, uh, and, and Kanye in general? Well, I, I've been working with Kanye since about 2001 or 2002, uh, since long before he was an artist or anybody really knew he wanted to be an artist. Um, but... Uh, snap forward to uh, the college dropout. I think I worked on five or six songs on the college dropout. Uh, most of what I did was sample recreations um, and a little bit of songwriting and production. Okay. Um, on All Falls Down, he had this uh, Lauren Hill sample that had this nylon string guitar and uh, and I had, I had been, like you gotta understand, during the college dropout the end of it, we were awake for about two weeks straight and I'm not slightly exaggerating it was probably the worst thing i've ever done to my body <laughs> and, uh, but so i one night i just turned in uh one big piece of work that uh kanye had me working on and uh he it was like one o'clock in the morning there he loved it and then out of the blue i get this call at like uh 7 a.m from kanye Dude, I got uh, Selena. What the fuck is her name? Uh, Selena. Selena Johnson. Yeah, Selena Johnson. Yes, I got Selena Johnson in the studio right now. I need you to cut this guitar part and send it right back to me immediately. And I'm like, send it. So, <laughs> so he sent it. It was like seven in the morning, maybe six in the morning, three three o'clock in the morning by then in L.A. And I was in New York, and uh, 
So I grabbed, I just had an acoustic guitar and I grabbed the acoustic and I listened to the part and I recreated the part, put it down and, you know, fine tuned it and sent it over. But I knew it wasn't right. It was, it really should have been a nylon string guitar, not a steel string. Yeah. But when Kanye wants something, he wants it right fucking then. And yeah. then, you know, that's that. So, so after I turned that in at like nine o'clock in the morning, I drove straight to uh, guitar center. And sat there in the parking lot till 10 a.m. until they opened. And then I went straight back to the nylon string section and pulled every single one down off the wall, played until I found a beautiful one that was really in tune and well intonated. And I took that one back and I recut the part, cleaned it all up, and resent it. Wow. And I sent it to Plain Pat, um, who was the AR on it. And, uh, and, uh, Pat calls me up and he's like, no, nah, dude, you know, we already mixed the song. We, we don't need this. And I'm like, Pat, you got to recall the song and put these guitars in. Trust me on this. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, we're good. And I'm like, Pat, recall the song and put the fucking guitars in, dude. So they did. And he calls me later. He's like, bro, you were so right. Oh, those are so great. Oh, thank you. I'm like, so, yeah. Um, wow. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the thing. Like, I never know what, I, I haven't worked with Kanye since Pablo, but, yeah. um, uh, Speaking in the present tense, uh, you never know what Kanye is going to throw at you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I ended up amassing a huge collection of instruments and sound libraries and everything just so that whenever he would call, whatever the hell he needed, right. I could just get to work. You don't and, have to go uh, wait yeah, in, the, in the guitar center parking lot until they open. <laughs> so were you then in the nylon, like playing nylon strings in guitar center? I'm assuming because you're doing a sample recreation, you're playing the actual part. Uh, in Guitar Center, uh, yeah. So like, yeah. This, I mean, that's crazy. There, there was no salesman around, you know. Yeah. It, was, it was still hella early. Yeah. Everybody was like, still, you know, shaking off the sleep. And I'm here, when all it all falls down. and I'm like, <laughs> okay, this, this is the one. Yeah. That's so that's crazy. I can just imagine, like, if there's a Guitar Center employee within earshot that's hearing you play that, and then you know, a couple months later, whenever the, the song comes out, they're like, right. that sounds familiar. Why do I know that? <laughs> the same thing? You know, speaking of that, I, the first time I was ever in the studio with Kanye, um, he was producing a Memphis Bleak song. And, uh, and he called me up and he's like, can I need you to come down to the studio and put down some guitars on this shit? And I'm like, okay, I'll be there. So I went down and I started doing some music for him. And uh, he sat on the back couch with a couple of his boys all night didn't pay attention to the session at all. Memphis Bleak wasn't there, so oh. he... No, no. And Kanye sat on the back couch with a couple of his boys, and Kanye rapped for two fucking hours straight, and just, like, off the dome. And the I sat there having no idea that he had uh, interest in being an artist, yeah. and I sat there listening to his lyrics and his flow and going, holy fucking shit, who is this guy? Yeah. Like... Okay, I knew he was a talented producer, but... And the, the thing that stuck with me the most was lines that I heard that night, one time, years later, when The College Dropout came out, I heard those some of those same lyrics again on songs that I hadn't worked on. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, shit. He said that line two years ago in the Memphis Bleak session. Yeah. Wow. Like, that's how connective his shit was. Yeah. You got to remember, like, when Kanye came out, nobody was checking for him. Right. Nobody, everybody was like, ah, oh, you know, producer wants to be an artist. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, you know, after after that night, I was like, 
utterly convinced. I was like, this guy's either going to sell 10 million or 10. Yeah. Because he was so different than everybody else. Yeah. There was nobody like him. Yeah. And nobody wanted to champion him because of that. Yeah. Nobody wants to take a chance on the, the you know, the outsider, but man, it was incredible. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, so I know you did uh, college dropout. Uh, uh, what other uh, Kanye albums? Since we're since we're on Kanye now, what other Kanye albums have you have you worked on? Well, I worked on uh, College Dropout, Last Call. Um, he had me do a bunch of work on Graduation, but ended up not using it. Eight oh eights after that. Eight oh eights after that. Yep. Yeah, I worked on a bunch of stuff on eight oh eights, Heartless, and Robocop, and a couple others. Um, I worked on Gold Digger on uh, uh, Last Call. And then uh, would have been My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy after 808s. And, God, I worked on... I produced the horn section on all of the lights. It's all live brass. Um, oh, live. Oh, wow. Oh, all live. All live brass. All done in my studio. Very cool. uh, and I produced and arranged the whole thing with... Um, my horn player was Danny Flam, who's uh, from New York Brass and brilliant brilliant horn player he brought like 25 fucking horns to the session i'm not joking wow. and he could play every single one of them there there was like he brought four different trombones probably three different trumpets a tuba a sousaphone another sousaphone yeah. a bass trumpet a flugelhorn uh, and we just you know we just kind of went through about an eight hour maybe 10 hour session and kanye had uh provided me a simple melody to follow along. Kanye calls me up and he's like, dude, I want you to do uh, a horn section that sounds like, uh, you know, a stadium at halftime. Mm. And he said, and all he did was he sent me this uh, little Casio uh, melody that sounded like a $20 keyboard. <laughs> and that was it. And then he calls and he's like, I want it to sound like a stadium at halftime with a marching band. Yeah. Like, done. So then I just went and did it and turned in the exact thing that you hear. Mm. And it was radio silence. Didn't hear a thing, which usually in Kanye land means, you know, he listened for like 30 seconds and it didn't catch him. And yeah. he just shit all the work. Out. Yeah. But like three months later, they call me for something else. Uh, and they're like, uh, you know, asked me to do something else. And I hadn't heard about the horns. I'm like, yo, the horns on ghetto university. What happened to those? And he's like, Oh no, they're, they're great. We love them. They're perfect. They're, they're in. So I'm like, thank you. Cause, cause I've done a bunch of other horn sections that I thought were money that he hasn't used. Yeah. Choirs. And, you know, when, um, and answer this however you'd like. Uh, but when you do something like that, uh, and it doesn't get used, are you paid only for the stuff that's used? And then if you're making, you know, a bunch oh, of no. stuff, uh, yeah, yeah, no, they, they, they pay me for every gig that I do. Okay. Um, whether they use it or not. And then, uh, if they don't use it, you know, occasionally I might repurpose some of the, you know, like individual parts into my own productions and shit like that. And, yeah. Cause I mean, there's like amazing horn sections and choirs and shit that just, never got used for anything so yeah. and if you got it you might as well use it you got it nice yeah okay. you can flip that stuff and i read i read another interview with you and you talked about uh the jesus walks interlude on the grammys that was like a, yeah. a very rapid turnaround 
Um, can, you, yeah. can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kanye calls me a week before the Grammys. I think this was 2005. And, uh, and he says, Ken, what are you doing today? And I'm like, whatever you want me to be doing today. And he's like, all right, come down to Sony, bring your gear. Uh, I need you to do an interlude for, for my Grammy performance. And I'm like, all right, let's fucking go. So, so I went down to Sony Studio B, and I basically brought my whole studio with me. I think I used their speakers and their assistant, and that was about it. And do, you set up my whole do, do you most of the time do stuff remote uh, from your own setup then? Okay. Usually, yeah. Most cool. of my work for everybody is almost always remote, okay. um, unless I'm producing. Yeah, so I'm in Sony Studio B, set all my stuff up. Kanye is supposed to come in like early evening and hear what I'm cooking up. So I spend all afternoon cooking up this entire, it's a one minute orchestral arrangement that segues between Jesus walks and this gospel thing that he did live. And at the very end of the uh, orchestral section is a car crash as well. And so I created the whole orchestral section into the car crash. And then when you see it on the Grammys, uh, he kind of goes into silhouette. And then uh, he switches into gospel after he just walks it. Epic. So he never came in. Uh, he never heard it until, I guess, you know, at some point he listened and no changes. It went. And next thing I know, I'm sitting in the Grammys uh, in the audience because we were nominated for album of the year. And, yeah. uh, and I got to hear my interlude live on the spot um, being played on stage while I sat in the audience. It was pretty wild. And that was the same day? No, no, I was like a week later. A week, okay, a week, so, okay, got, got Yeah, you. he calls like, me a week before the Grammys. Everything was done that day, and then I didn't hear anything from him, and then I see the performance. And then you and see it live friends. and go, all right, I guess like, I guess he liked it. <laughs> thank, you. thank you, he used it, great. <laughs> Seriously, like, our business is a lot like that. There are so yeah. many times, and I'm sure most people would tell you, like, a lot of times you just don't know until the album comes out or until right before you know, sometimes if you're a producer or something like that, they, you got contracts and then you know you're on the record. But, you know, yeah. even then, not always. So, yeah, you know, it's nice to have that confirmation. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, last thing on Kanye, and then I want to uh, move through some other stuff. Uh, tell me about your involvement with uh, Watch the Throne. Uh, Watch the Throne. I did, I worked on five songs on that, I think. I don't even remember all the. Uh, titles. Um, the thing that I had the most fun with was, so there's this interlude at the end of No Church in the Wild that sounds like a little polka orchestra. And I created that, and that's not a sample. That was, he sent me something, I can't remember who did it. Um, I think like most F or somebody did it. And it was, it was all a sample, but I went totally away from that and just used that as inspiration and created that whole kind of orchestra that you hear yeah. and uh so so that became my big hip-hop claim to fame was that i got to play accordion on uh watch the throne <laughs> <laughs> i don't think any i don't think any other hip-hop heads can claim that they played accordion on a classic track <laughs> so, that's amazing what a uh, what a wild yeah, I, thing to be able to say i love it Dude, it's, it's nutty. Um, one of my other favorite things from Watch the Throne was uh, the very last day of recording. The album was closing 7 o'clock that night. I get a call at, at noon. And, uh, and it's Kanye's manager, and he's like, 
uh, Kanye wants you to arrange an eight-bar horn section in the bridge of New Day, uh, and we need it delivered by 7 p.m. And it's noon, and he wants a horn section. So I called Danny Flam from New York Brass. Danny was in Israel, couldn't do it. Danny recommended four guys for me. And so I I burned uh, the... um, song that I had to write to, to a CD multiple times. While I was driving into the city, I arranged the parts in my head, um, sketched them out when I got to the studio, put parts in front of all four players, taught them to them. We had, uh, we recorded from, I think, five to six. Six to seven, I cleaned up the arrangement, hopped in a cab, and took a thumb drive straight down to uh, the... uh, um, Submercer down in Soho. So they had the the um, the Mercer Hotel locked out. They had three rooms there doing the whole album. So okay. I, they wouldn't do anything on over the internet. It was all in person. So I literally had to bring a thumb drive to them. Oh, and wow. uh, but by seven fifteen, I walked in, handed it, and they put it in. The album closed that night, and we fucking made it. And then we had a party at the Submercer that night for the closing of the album for everybody who worked on, it, which was wild. Yeah. That's wow. That's crazy. Um, tell me about uh, mixing night. So uh, mixing night, we started the first, sec- actually second week of lockdown during the pandemic. Uh, you know, New York City was hit like a fucking tornado with COVID, and nobody yeah. knew what was going on. Everybody was freaking out. And my friend from Germany, Dom Ravinius, uh, was over visiting for a week, and he got stuck with us for three months. So. We were all, you know, we had all this, like, audio and video gear and nothing to do. And we were like, why don't we just try, you know, live streaming and see how it goes. So we started Q&A with Ken. We did Q&A with Ken twice a week and then once a week. And then uh, Q&A with Ken morphed into Mixing Night. Uh, And we've been doing Mixing Night. Now we do it uh, the first Wednesday of every month. Mixing Night is like Howard Stern for studio folks. So it's not the classroom. It's not, I mean, it's educational in that you're definitely going to get gems from me every show, but I'm not hitting you over the head with them. I'm just like, it's just like friends hanging out and uh, it's the funnest show. Uh, We absolutely love putting it on. Uh, We don't monetize it so that I can do exactly the show that I want with no filter, with no company controlling what I can show and say. And, and you know, with me, I'm 30 years into a very successful career. I could show you every single thing that I do, and you're going to go make great records that sound like you, not me. So why not share? So that, you know, Mixing Night was, it started as a way to keep everybody together in community during pandemic. And now it's morphed into this amazing community of creatives that we have worldwide that like when we have like beat challenges, sometimes We'll get some, not sometime, every time we get submissions all over the world. The influences are amazing. And it just, that's one thing that I think is, that I've been really lucky with, that I've done so much international work. All of that international work is inspiration and experience for all of my other work and vice versa. Yeah. So I'm constantly getting all of these outside influences that a lot of other people aren't really getting in the same way, which is creatively I love. So. Yeah. Um, what platform is Mixing Night on? 
Uh, Mixy Night is on YouTube. Um, okay. I think we're going to try broadcasting out to, to everything, but right now we're on YouTube. It's youtube.com forward slash Mixing Night. And uh, we're the first Wednesday of every month. Set your alerts, and uh, it'll email you when we go live. But it's 8 p.m. Wednesday night uh, for two hours, uh, first Perfect. Wednesday of every month. And it's a throwdown. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the description and everything so uh, people can get Sweet. right to it. Um, what is your background uh, musically? Did you Am I getting this right? You went to Berkeley. I went to Berkeley College of Music, yeah. Um, I, guitar is my main instrument, but I can, you know, music is all up here. Uh, yeah. and, and with, uh, you know, modern tech, I can create nearly anything. But I'm proficient in guitar and bass. I play a lot of bass. And, uh, and I can play keys enough to get all my ideas down. And, uh, yeah. I play um, piano on a John Legend song, so I'm not too bad. Oh, on a John Legend song. Uh, I saw you have uh, a John Legend credits uh, as well. What was the what was the song you played piano on? Um, another again. That was I. So I co-produced another again with uh, Kanye and John, and uh, I ended up um, playing just the underneath piano. John did all the really pretty solo stuff, yeah. um, and I just did the the comped chords on my baby grand, and uh, nice. and he didn't redo them. I expected him to redo them, but he didn't. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that's awesome. I'm happy about that. Yeah, an- um, another uh, another wild credit. There you go. I have the strangest career. I just I have kind of like it's kind of like an octopus. Like I do a whole lot of different things. Almost yeah. nobody that hires me for one thing has much of a clue of all of the other things that I do. And like Kanye had no idea when he started hiring me for samples that I was a mix engineer. Yeah, he had no idea. And because Manny American was mostly mixing for him and Manny was a friend, I didn't want to step on Manny's toes. I just didn't say yeah. anything. So one day I'm supposed to be working on the Blueprint 2 for Kanye and uh, uh, track one, Dream. Um, and uh, uh, Kanye produced that. It was the Jay-Z album. Uh, and, oh, yeah. and, uh, so, and I'm instead I'm at, uh, what was it, Legacy 509 was big, huge uh, orchestral recording room with Just Blaze. And we were recording an orchestra for Mariah Carey and then mixing it. And Kanye calls me right as we start the mix. And he keeps blowing up my beeper. This is beeper days. So it's going way better. And uh, so I'm like, finally, I'm like, I got to fucking call him back. So I call him up and he hears the music. He's like, where are you at? And I'm like, uh, I'm at uh, Legacy. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, we I just recorded uh, 22 strings for Mariah, and we're about to mix. And he's like, what do you mean you, you're about to mix? And I'm like, well, <laughs> the strings are done, and now I'm going to mix the record. And he's like, why are you going to mix the record? I'm like, I'm a mix engineer. <laughs> what? What have, what have you mixed? So I start rattling <laughs> off all these things I've mixed. He's like, oh, well, I had no idea. Well, you just, okay, we'll mix this too. So. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's, you know, um, professionally, I try and stay in whatever lane I'm supposed to be in. Like, yeah. all of the knowledge comes with, you know, all the knowledge and experience comes in every gig. But yeah. because I'm really good at a whole lot of other things, I don't want to step on other people's toes when they're the lead. I'm, I'm there to, you know, help them make their best records, not, yeah. you know, the record that I want to make. Yeah. Um, I do that when I produce. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, speaking of, uh, mixing stuff, um, another, uh, wild credit, 
uh, is you mixed uh, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, the the secret Wu-Tang album. Yes. Yeah, the secret double um, Wu-Tang album. Yes. So I looked this up, and uh, apparently the way it was, was recorded as well is uh, certain people, when they're rapping on a song, that was not actually the final beat, and it was like a different BPM or something, and then it was put together. And then I read that not even RZA has heard the final product. Um, my knowledge, they all have. Okay. Okay. There was uh, there was some other uh, interview, and they had uh, broken it down and said that that was that way. But um, what can you tell me about uh, the making or the mixing? Uh, anything about that that album? Well, I, so once upon a time in Shaolin, I can talk about the mixing because that's really the only part that I know about. I don't know how the album was put together. The album was finished by the time it got to me, yeah. and uh, I get a call. Um, and uh, they asked me to sign an NDA, and I'm like, Kanye doesn't ask me to sign NDAs. I'm not signing one for you. So, so they gave me the gig anyway, um, and I ended up uh, mixing the whole double album. It was like 30 tracks. Uh, I can tell you it was like a hearkening back to their second album. Um, it felt like right in that lane. And it's chock full of samples and you know skits and... and and all the old Shaolin movies and shit, everything that you would want from a fucking Wu-Tang record. I, yeah. I feel like, you know, I feel like it's a great record, but I also completely and utterly understand the beef with um, a lot of the Wu-Tang members that they're not happy with the way it went down. I got yeah, nothing yeah. to do with that. You know? of course, yeah. so, but, uh, you know, but for me, like, I thought it was fascinating that they were trying to create an art piece and the problem with art pieces is you don't get to choose who buys the art. So obviously yeah. that shit stain of a, a guy ended up buying the album and then not letting anybody hear it. And then it went into a government locker and now it's owned by Pleaser Dow, I think. Um, yes. Which is, right. uh, yes. yeah. So I'm, I'm praying that they release it. And uh, yeah. so who knows? Um, yeah. There's been a but, few uh, clips leaked. Um, and, but that's, that's been it. Uh, other than that. Um, yeah, the only stuff I've seen was the stuff that Screlly was playing, like on you know. Yeah, he did just a live from. Like, oh, Go ahead. One one more thing about the uh, uh, one once upon a time in Shaolin. Uh, yeah. I had they told me that they had the idea of like taking it around for private listening sessions, and I was like, you need to put it in a museum like MoMA, Museum of Modern Art in New York, and have like headphone listening stations. Make sure nobody can record it. But, you know, let the fans hear this shit. I think yeah. the I think Wu-Tang would have had a different response to that album if their fans could have heard it. Yes, and, in some know, sort of limited capacity. Yeah, so yeah. they didn't end up doing that, uh, which was a disappointment for me, but the album is great. I really hope the album comes out someday. Yeah. So. And it's well, every member of the Killer Bees, every member of Wu-Tang, including ODB. Um, a bunch of guest appearances. Cher was on it. Um, oh, wow. It was pretty cool. That's yeah. awesome. You have a, a writing credit on uh, Black of the Berry, uh, Kendrick. I do. Uh, how, did that, uh, how did that come about? Well, that should have been a additional production credit. Or actually, it should have been a, a co-production credit. Uh, so we used to work a lot with Boy Wanda. And Boy Wanda was the lead uh, producer on that. He brought me and my partner, Brent Colatalo, in uh, to help him produce that song. Man, we fucking put like 40, 50 hours into that thing. 
when Wonder turned in uh, his work and submitted us for producers, Top Dog refused to credit us as producers. So not only did they refuse to credit us as producers, they only gave us additional engineering credit, which was not the role at all. Welcome to the music industry, fellas. (laughs) So, but... um, because uh, we produced and created some of the music for it, you know, we got a writing credit as well. So at least I got yeah. something value out of it. Yeah. But um, what other stuff? Because uh, that just happens. So what other stuff uh, have you gone uncredited for that you uh, have worked on that you can at least mention? <laughs> I mean, so many Kanye things. They early on they were absolutely terrible at credits. They got way better later on. Um, uh, let's see the Shrek soundtrack. I didn't get any credit for, um, Oh, actually I did, but I didn't No, I didn't. Uh, and I couldn't get on the Grammys for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, it happens all the time, but, uh, you know, the, for young creatives out there who are working on projects, don't ever assume that other people are going to take care of your credit for you. And, Every time I would reach out to either the NR admin or the manager or both, anybody that I could who I knew was assembling credits, and I would make sure to directly give them my credits. And still, all the time, they're just not them. Yeah. It's the music. You know, nothing like, if you see Hollywood, Hollywood credits the groundskeeper and the assistant's assistant and every no. intern. And, you know, the music industry is not like that at all. It's more yeah. like the wild west. And I, I wish it was because uh, all music is like, you know, sometimes, they, although, you know, there's there's missing stuff that you're mentioning already that it doesn't matter the service, they're not going to have it. But uh, Tidal is better at listing credits in there. If you um, look at the song credits, there'll they'll be more. Right. But they have to be in the song credits at first. Exactly. And that's, yeah. the, that's the big problem. And, yeah. you know, but... But uh, if you're vigilant about it, then you can usually get your credit. Gotcha. Um, uh, Uptown Special you worked on. I did. I worked on Uptown Funk. Uh, What did you do on Uptown Funk? What was that process like? Because, I mean, you're talking about wide-ranging career, and that's like one of the biggest songs of the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and and everything actually that we've already mentioned are like some of the biggest albums of the 21st century. Uh, and this is a separate song, separate genre, wild. So uh, uh, tell me your experience with that. Well, so Mark Ronson calls me out of the blue. I had never talked to Mark in my life. I knew who he was. Actually, I take that back. I met Mark Ronson when I was when he was 16 years old in New York, and I was engineering on the Foreigner Mr. Moonlight album. And uh, he's the son of uh, the guitar player for Foreigner. So we were making that record in New York, and and 16-year-old Mark Ronson swung through the studio, and I remembered him <laughs> later. I'm sure he didn't remember me. But yeah. but he calls me up, and he's like, Ken, I got this song, and uh, I'm really sorry that I need to underutilize your talents, uh, but I need some really simple stuff, and you're the guy that keeps coming up for it. I'm like, Okay. And apparently Bruno Mars had called him and uh, and recommended me to him. So, <laughs> Oh, yes, because you also worked on Unorthodox Jukebox. I did, yeah. 
Yes. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So Bruno called Mark, and Mark called me, and then I ended up working on Uptown Funk. Had no expectations. You know, I didn't. I didn't hear the full record at the time. I heard pieces of the record so I could do my jobs on it. And uh, and uh, my God, when that thing came out, it was just like, what is even happening right now? I mean, it. I yeah. think it broke the records for uh, most weeks at number one. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, if you look at my, there's uh, this app called Muso that uh, charts your streaming. So on, on Muso, this is utterly ridiculous. So my number one streamed song is Uptown Funk with 6.7 billion streams. My number two is Gold Digger with 1.3 billion. So, there's literally five and a half billion streams between Uptown Funk and massive, massive hits that I've worked on. Yeah. Blue Jeans. Carl Digger was also absolutely massive. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. And uh, so, yeah, that was just a really lucky one to get on. And, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, fortunate enough to have a lot of luck in my career. That's, um, that's but awesome. I, I tend to be. Like the weird thing is I tend to get um, like I'm a designated hitter for a lot of heavies. So yeah. if they don't have time to do something or they know that I'm really good at something and they just need, they'll call me up and have me do, you know, the horn section on all the lights or sample recreation or mix this or, you know, do a choir. Okay. So yeah. it keeps things very interesting. Yeah. Um, how much of your work is with uh, musicians or actual, um, you, you know, a uh, physical instrument versus uh, software stuff? Well, I'd say it's become more software over the years. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, even yesterday I was playing guitar on something. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've played guitar on hundreds and hundreds of records. I've played multi-instruments on hundreds of records. And... Uh, uh, produced choirs, produced string sections, uh, horn sections, you know, you name it. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, when people try and pigeonhole you into one thing, like, oh, yeah, you're, you're a hip-hop producer, right? You're a, you're a rap, you know, guy. like, no, I'm, I'm a producer. I make music. Yeah. Point me to the music. If I connect yeah. with it, I'm in. And... Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's just one of one of those gifts is because Kanye kept pushing me down all of these different lanes that I had never gone down before. And I just had to figure out how to do all of this shit in real yeah. time and impress Kanye West at the same time. So, <laughs> so that, that really builds your skill sets pretty fast. And if you get 30 yeah. years of that piling up, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I can do a few things. Okay. Yeah, so. definitely. So right now, I'm I'm building my Studio A. I just built Studio B and C. And uh, Studio A is going to be a big, immersive control room, full 916 Atmos and Sony 360. And, uh, um, and I've been mixing a lot of Atmos lately, which I absolutely love. Right now, I'm mixing the Donna Summer uh, catalog, or uh, the singles anyway, and uh, mixing, like, you know, a bunch of Atlantic Records stuff and other things. Um, stereo, last week I just had three songs, uh, not three songs, I had three albums in the top ten on the Billboard 200, uh, which is the second time that's happened to me in my career. Um, 
And last year I had three songs in the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100, which is the only time that that's happened to me in my career. So it's been a pretty good run. I'm I'm fucking, man, things are hitting on all cylinders lately. And uh, I can't complain a bit. Uh, The work is finding me like crazy, which is great. And That's great. Uh, my other passion right now is Obscene Stealers, which is uh, me and Michael Moss. My nickname for him is Michael Moss, the movie trailer boss, because Michael's day job is uh, composing movie trailers. And he's a beast. I mean, he's done like Tenet, Dune, Star Wars, Fast and Furious, Mulan, like all these fucking heavies. And so he and I produced a song together couple years ago and we did a full full orchestra the sophia session orchestra and 53 pieces it was amazing and after that we just loved working with each other and you know when you just find those creatives that you super super click with yeah he was one of them and and when we when we finished he said you know i want to keep working with you send me something to send me something to work i'm like all right so i sent him a bunch of acapellas from like some of my favorite songs that i had written over the years that had just hadn't gotten placed and yeah. still great songs, just needed a you know a different approach. So we took the, so Obscene Stealers was started as redoing old versions of some of my favorite songs. Obscene Stealers is very cinematic, could be cinematic pop or hip hop, or we go down all sorts of lanes. And but we all the two of us we describe our music as epic AF, and it's there's something epic about it, whether it's hip hop or EDM or pop or whatever. We just find great songs, write great songs, produce great songs. And then as soon as we have one ready to go, we put it out and start working on the next one. Nice. We're hoping we're really targeting uh, sync licensing with that. Mostly film, yeah, TV, yeah. video games, that kind of stuff. And so I've done real well in sync uh, previously. So if I can get this one back into a sync lane, let's do uh, I, just two more quick things. I'm thinking like a rapid fire. I'm going to, I'll list off, uh, some other credits, and then if you have uh, something to say about it, um, we can we can do that. And then um, I had put I have a, a Discord channel, and I had put up I didn't uh, list your name, but I said uh, I'm interviewing you, and here's some of your credits. Do we have any questions? Um, so uh, there's just a couple questions from those. Rapid fire. Uh, Alicia Keys, Girl on Fire. Uh, I did the big drums on Girl on Fire. Alicia Keys is amazing. I love that girl. She is just one of the most genuine people to work with on planet Earth. Fantastic. Um, Pete Rock. Soul Survivor. Uh, Yeah, I I ended up engineering and recording the entire uh, Pete Rock Soul Survivor album, and I mixed one song on it featuring Heavy D and Coco T. No, that was a different song, but, uh, but I did mix one song on Soul Survivor. And, yeah, I mean, Pete Rock... And back then, like, not everybody really knows nowadays who Pete Rock is, but back then, Pete Rock was a fucking legend, and he hadn't been around in a while, and he was doing a new album, so I was like, oh my god, holy shit. (laughs) That that was, I I love working with Pete, he was was really great. Um, That's that's great. Continuing on rapid fire, uh, Mariah Carey. Uh, Mariah Carey, a couple times I got to work on her stuff with Just Blaze. Uh, I've never met her. Um, I've only she has her own engineer that records all of her vocals, but I've talked to her on the phone, and I I adore her. That girl is a boss. And uh, um, we did uh, 
uh, a song on Charm Bracelet, and then we did a big remix on Charm Bracelet. And that was the one that I did the orchestra for when uh, Kanye called me and I was supposed to be working on the Blueprint 2. I'm working on Mariah's. (laughs) <laughs> um, but the you know the the one thing that Mariah did that I was super impressed by, we were at uh, the big room at Legacy. It was like five thousand a day just for the room, and then on top of that, me and Just Blaze, and we had yeah. the room locked out for five days, and we weren't doing anything. It was sitting empty, and I was sitting there waiting for Mariah. And Mariah was down in the Caribbean on vacation, and this was slow internet days, and yeah. uh, so we had to upload an MP3 to her. She'd download it, listen. And then uh, she'd call us and give us notes whenever she listened, which could be the next day or the day after. So one day she calls and her manager had had told me to let the room go like until she came back. So I'm on the phone with her and we're talking about the thing and I get all the changes that she wants and do all that. And I'm like, so uh, your manager wants me to, uh, you know, cancel the room until you get back. She's like, no, hold it. I'm like, "Um, okay, but. I said, hold it. Okay. <laughs> no problem. You got it. We're in. And that's it. I 150,000% respected that so much. She was yeah. so, so cordial right up until the moment that it was like, oh, she's the boss, not the manager. Yeah, yeah. She's the one that makes, and she made the decision. And then she snapped right back into being the most cordial amazing person ever it was such and you know i gotta respect the hell out of that man like people yeah. who know how to take charge when when shit is getting slightly off the rails for them that was impressive uh queen latifah <sighs> love that girl um i only got to work with her maybe 95 or 96 it was on the uh soundtrack for something about the money um i can't remember what it was but uh uh so it was the only time I've ever worked with Latifah. I wish I could work with her every day. So I was at Soundtrack Studio B in New York City. And uh, just by myself, the assistant wasn't even in. And, and Latifah walks in uh, by herself. And she looks over at me. And she immediately cracks on me. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so <laughs> I crack back on her. You know? And then you know, I play her the song, and, and I had recorded all of the song up to that point, and then it was time to record her on it. And uh, so she's in the booth, and it's just me and her, and, uh, and I can see her through the glass clearly, and she's in this big, like, uh, athletic jersey-type shirt, and she's sweating her ass off. It's fucking hot in there, and she's like... She's like, man, I'm dying in here. And, I'm, and I just, I go on the talk back. I'm like, I always travel with a t-shirt. You're welcome to borrow it if you want. And she's like, what? Yep. So I had this Ampex 499 t-shirt. It was black and it fit me fine. And I'm not a big guy. So she took that t-shirt and she put that thing on and it was so tight. You wouldn't fucking believe. It. I mean, it was, like, you know, orange. And, uh, and she must've worn that for like three hours during the session. She had friends coming in and out and it was the most hilarious thing to see. But I love that. Like, you know, I love when stars that big can be so down to earth and like yeah. Jay-Z is one of those guys. Queen Latifah is one of those uh, people. And it was just an amazing, it felt like I had worked with her a hundred times before and it was the only time I ever got to work with her. And yeah. she's a That's brilliant awesome. singer. So yeah. That that was a lot of fun. Okay, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just it depends on uh, how much how much time you have and how long you uh, want to go. There's so many it. credits. Yeah, you work with J. Cole, yes? Oh, yeah. Uh, Born Center. Yeah. That was another crazy one. Uh, Jay called me out of the blue at like 6 o'clock on a Saturday night, and I'm sitting in my studio alone, and he's like, uh, is this Ken Lewis? And I'm like, yep, this is J. Cole. Hey, J. Cole. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, um, so we started getting talking, and he starts telling me about this new album that he's working on, and, uh, and it's still early stages. But um, Drake recommended uh, me to J. Cole because I did the choirs on Lord Knows on the Take Care album uh, for Just Blaze. Right, we haven't even talked about that yeah. either. <laughs> so, <laughs> Lord Knows choirs and all the, the kind of the music under the choir, that's all me uh, and my people. Um, but uh, so, so Drake uh, told J. Cole, J. Cole calls me, I could... I could tell, I could hear like the, him typing as he was talking to me and clearly he hadn't Googled me before he called. And he's like, yeah. I was like, did he says, uh, one point he's like, did you work with Kanye? I'm like, yeah, I've done a ton of stuff. He's like you did last call. You worked on all falls down. You worked on. And I was like, yep, yep, yep. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, what do you want me to be doing? So, yeah. So J. Cole came over by himself. He doesn't, he lived maybe an hour away. Uh, he drove over by himself, um, got there at like 11 o'clock Saturday night, stayed until like two or three in the morning, played me most of the album in progress. And we just, he'd play me a song and he'd be like, what are you hearing? You know? And, and it was all like, he wanted, so to back up, he wanted me to produce live strings and live choirs for uh, Born Center. So, you know, he would play me a song and he'd be like, all right, you know, you hearing anything? What are you hearing? And we would just talk through a whole bunch of things. And then that ended up leading to, uh, I produced the choirs and, uh, strings on Crooked Smile on, I think five on Born Center. We did a bunch of skits, uh, on the record, just live on the spot during the choir session that wasn't supposed to happen. It just kind of did. One of the most impressive things I thought about J. Cole was the choir session, like, it was like 30 choir members and he took pictures with everybody signed to autographs was mm. super cordial, personally thanked everybody. It was like real first class human. I was super, super yeah, impressed. Great. And, uh, uh, but the crazy thing about that album is back to the Muso app. Um, the thing that I would have never predicted in my entire life would have been that she knows is now the number 11 song I have ever worked on in my career. And that was an album cut on that album. Yeah. That was, and I produced the strings on that album. It was live string section, 16 strings. And now it's at 716 million streams. How? And it's TikTok. So it became viral on TikTok. Uh, he knows. And then that read 10 years later, re blew the yeah. song up or eight years later. So, Man, the internet is a powerful beast. So it is. That's um, wow. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, that was a crazy album. And then the other thing about Born Center was I had also worked on Yeezus. Yeezus and Born Center came out the same day. Yeezus was number one. Born Center was number two. The next week, Yeezus number one. Born Center number two. Week three, Born Center number one. Yeezus number two. Oh man, yeah. that, was, that was amazing. 
Usher, uh, you worked on uh, the album Confessions. Throwback, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, I love Usher. Uh, that was the only time I, was the only time I worked with him in person. First time I worked for Usher was his very first album when he was 16 years old and Puffy was producing, and I engineered a lot of the um, sessions for Puffy, uh, but none of the vocal recording sessions with Usher. And uh, snap to the Confessions album, and Just Blaze gives me a call. He's like, I'm doing a song with Usher. I need you. I'm like, okay. So I, I came down. I was mixing everything that Justin, uh, Just Blaze did at that time. So I came down to the studio, and we ended up mixing the record. And he wanted... Um, he had uh, eBase try and put guitar down on it. And eBase couldn't nail the sound that, that Justin was looking for. And I, I gave it one listen. I'm like, bro, I can do that in five minutes. He's like... No, you can't. E-Bass has been trying all day. I'm like, bro, you know me. So he goes, all right. <laughs> so so I sent my uh, assistant uh, back to my own studio. We were at Baseline. I sent my assistant back to get some gear. I got my Les Paul and a couple of my pedals and uh, some other gear. And I plugged it in and learned the part and played the part and, and nailed it and brought him in. And uh, he was like, no, no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> so the crazy thing about uh throwback was um cardiac redid the beat uh that throwback beat and put a different spin on it for chloe and chris brown which just came out like three months ago a song called how does it feel so i played guitar on that too so yeah. <laughs> i'm racking them up but um yeah mixing yeah. for usher was amazing uh and recording him when i i recorded the, the lead vocal on throwback and uh it was the only time I've gotten to record him, and it, he was such a, a seasoned professional. We instantly clicked. It felt like we had been working together for 10 years. And yeah. it, he was a little bit flat. You know, I could, had no problem being like, you know, one more time. And he, was, he instantly trusted me. I think he just figured like, okay, Just Blaze put you in the room. You must know what you're doing. Five minutes into yeah. recording, he, he understood that I understood. And it just, yeah, it was just. You guys are working yeah. together. He's amazing. That's great. Okay. Uh, let's see. The, the Let's go rapid, rapid fire. So I got Kid Cudi, Diana Ross, George Benson, Public Enemy, Eminem, and Fun. Um, any of those, anything stick out there for you? So Diana Ross, we broke the record for keeping her in the studio the latest. We were working up at the Carriage House, and she had done all of her records at the Carriage House. And I was with a producer named Malik Pendleton. And uh, and we went in, Malik produced and wrote the songs. We went in, and, and Diana comes in about 9, and the owner of the studio says, she's never been in the studio past 1 a.m. She'll probably want to go home by 11. Like, okay. So come 1 a.m., the... The studio owner sitting in the chair in the studio stewing at us because we're still working and he's her ride home. We ended up working until yeah. three forty-five in the morning. Yes, totally. She was lost. she was having a ball. She didn't want to yeah. leave. So, um, and then uh, the the next day, I come in for a follow-up session and nearly got in a fist fight with the owner of Carriage House uh, because he was. Because <laughs> we kept them there so long. I'm like, boo-hoo, you little fuck. <laughs> Public Enemy, I got called to mix one song on He Got Game, and I ended up mixing five on the album. Um, mm. And I mixed. I got called at like 11 o'clock at night to Hit Factory. Threw all my gear, and I was there an hour later. 
And uh, so I mixed the first song. I only got called for one song. And the the A&R and the, um, comes in and hears the song. And he's like, can you stay and mix another one? Yeah. After song two, can you stay and mix another one? We have to move rooms. Okay. They put me up in Studio E for uh, a mix four and five. And I mixed the last two songs on the record. I think my best mix on the record was Resurrection. And that was the last mix that I did. And that was the first time that I had, that was the longest I've ever stayed awake in a row in my life. That was 67 hours without sleep. And then I oh slept, my. I got a hotel room right down the road for six hours at the seediest, blah, and, but it was all, all I could get. And then woke up six hours later and went to my Aretha Franklin session and did 18 hours on a remix for Aretha Franklin and then went home and slept for two days. <laughs> but, but at the time... You know, I, I think I was like 28, maybe 29. And yeah. at the time, it was the most amount of money that I had ever made in my entire life in such a short period of time. And yeah. it was also Public Enemy and Aretha Franklin. So it was like that yeah, the adrenaline of those two things was everything keeping me awake. And if it had yeah. been lesser artists, I wouldn't have stayed awake from I mean, to yeah. work with Public Enemy yeah. in the 90s was fuck, man. That was it. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Two questions. These are from uh, from Discord. One is, what which artist has been the most fun to work with and why? Uh, and then, if you feel comfortable answering, uh, which has been the most difficult uh, and why? Uh, most fun, I would say David Byrne. Um for those who don't know David Byrne, he's the head talking head. He's the burning burning down the house guy, whatever was guy. And uh, so I ended up recording and mixing and playing on uh, the Look Into the Eyeball album, I think in 1998, uh, for David Byrne. And we did the entire thing at the cutting room. On day one, uh, I have everything set up, you know, the night before, full band, five pieces in David, well, four pieces in David. And we spend all morning like dialing in sounds and then it's about lunchtime and everybody comes into the control room and David grabs the menu book and, uh, and he flips through and he finds something he wants and he grabs a pad and he writes his order down. And then he hands the menu book to the bass player, takes the bass player's order, guitar player, guitar player's order, and then me. And before, before I even knew David Byrne, he's taking my lunch order for me. <laughs> and that that pretty much set the tone for like how that album went. He's he was the most down to earth, the most musical, the most quirky. He rode his ten speed yeah. bike through Manhattan to the sessions every day. I mean, it was just he's just a unique soul. It was so much fun. And I got to play on a couple album, a uh, couple songs on that. And uh, yeah, what go. a fun project. Um, the most That's difficult. Nice. Who? I, I mean, you know, Kanye is difficult. But I, it, but it, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't, I don't think of him when I think of difficult. I just think of yeah. him like challenging. Um, some of the most challenging uh, things that I've ever been tasked with have been from Kanye for sure. I, you know, I, I tend to avoid um, working with people that I don't click with. So, mm -hmm. you know, I may have had a session here, you know, a one-off with people that I didn't, that's going to happen all the time. You know, in this business, you, you find your people and, you know, you, you tend to do a lot of work with a lot of the same people. So I'm lucky. Yeah. 
Okay. And then last one. Uh, do you have any tips for working through creative roadblocks? Uh, and do you have any stories of this throughout your career? Yeah. Um, one of the easiest ones for creatives is stand up, walk out of the fucking room, go get some fresh air for 10 or 15 minutes, literally walk around the block. Don't open your phone. Just let some fresh air and nature in for a while and then go back. And just that, that kind of quick reset can really open up avenues that you just were kind of walled off from before. Like one of the times where, this happened the most. I was producing this uh, group called uh, Swim, and uh, the lead singer just couldn't get this part. He just—it wasn't like I knew. I knew his capabilities, and he just wasn't delivering. So I just told him, "I'm like Joe, come on, let's take a walk around Manhattan for." So we just took a half-hour walk around Manhattan, and we came back, and he gave me one of the best performances of his entire life and mine. Uh, it was exceptional, and it was just yeah. that clearing moment of like, I'm too in my head right now to like, this isn't fun. Let me try again. No, you don't want to try again. You want to reset. Yeah. So, yeah, it's amazing. Like, uh, hearing from you, your interactions. I mean, you obviously have done a lot of different things, uh, from production to instruments, uh, to mixing, but uh, specifically what you're talking about with being the mixing engineer as like, kind of hitting the ball back with the um the performer or whoever's you know trying to get the take and then you're using your ears to get the best out of them and and i mean it's obviously so much more than just working the controls like there's a psychological aspect to it Um, well i think i think one of my secret weapons is that i have so many different experiences doing so many different roles that whatever role i'm called to do if i'm called to mix well i'm gonna just be the mixer i'm not gonna reproduce the song but i'm taking all of my production knowledge my artist knowledge my recording knowledge my arranging knowledge my musical everything and i'm listening to that song from all of these different perspectives as a mixer and asking myself okay what's the best representation of the song where do i want to take it and it you know it's just um I think, I don't know if I'm unique in that, but I think that's a superpower that has served me super well over the years. We covered a lot of ground. It was a lot of fun. We did. We did. And I, I haven't um, thought about some of these records in the longest time. So it's it's really been fun to kind of, you know, kick the brain into gear and, and go over yeah. some of these memories. It's, it's been, thanks for the invite. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate your time uh, and your stories. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate the invite, man. Thank you for listening. And hey, do me a favor. Whatever app you're listening to this in right now, click subscribe. The next episode is coming soon and you don't want to miss it. For now, I'm Brandon Shaw. I'll see you next time. Well, I'm, I guess I'm not going to see you because it's not a video. It's not YouTube. It's a podcast. So, just, so I'll talk to you next time. I'll talk at you next time, I guess. It's, not, it's a one-way thing. Whatever. <laughs>